Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. My engineer loves this music. Um, uh, Three times a year in New York, uh, a woman has a a very interesting uh, showcase for uh, small business products. Uh, If you've not heard of it, uh, it's called the Consumer Products Events Group. That's their website. Uh, I was there a couple of weeks ago, and while I'm not a wine connoisseur, uh, I I got to taste an extraordinary uh, wine, actually two wines. had to wait a couple hours before I drove home. And I ran into an extraordinary lady named Debbie Lane and invited her on the program. Uh, Debbie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Don. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, you know, the, uh, what I couldn't see is uh, Tess, Tess of, Tess Testa. Of, Tessa? <laughs> Tessa. Tessa Tessa Wines of the World. Testa meaning head in Italian. Yes. Cabot of Toast, we say in Southern Italian, hardhead. <laughs> oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, uh, we always ask our guests a little bit about their personal life, uh, background, and you have an extraordinary one. So please tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into marketing wines and a lot of other subjects. Well, I think you stepped into a big can of worms here. My my life could be a TV movie. <laughs> um, I actually think I can be an inspirational to a lot of people because um, I've had a very, very up-and-down type of life. I'm a survivor, and um, I have gone from being extremely poor and a single parent and living with an abusive family, having lost a child, to um, building a a business and surviving in a corporate world, which is really very male-dominated and and very corporate. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, Brooklyn girl, (laughs) and um, I actually had a great childhood, very idyllic. My father um, was in the wine business. He bought this company, Testa Wines, um, in 1962, and I actually started working there in 1968 at 14. Um, I started sweeping floors, loading trucks, unloading trucks, um, taking orders, and every summer I would work until I could work full-time for him. Um, All the kids in the neighborhood would go up when he'd get a container coming in, and we'd all unload the containers, and he'd pay us all with a nice sandwich from the Italian deli down the street. Um, 
I, I would just say that um, my whole life I've been a very hard worker, and um, I guess that's kind of how I've survived all the things that have happened in my life. Um, what else can I tell you? Um, it's hard well, to be a single, single mother and running a business, but somehow I managed, so that hopefully will be inspirational to some people. Well, well, it always is. Um, you know, um, my book is finally coming up. Um, Frankie, if you get hurt, I'll kill you. Growing up an Italian-American. And uh, uh, and it's interesting how, how you say it is exactly how um, what, what my book is all about. And uh, uh, I happen to be born in Newark, New Jersey, and grew up there. Uh, I, my father had a business, too, which was uh, laundry and dry cleaning. But much the same way as you, 14, we started, and we learned to, to work hard and mm-hmm. not to expect anything to be given to us. Uh, and uh, fortunately, I haven't had the misfortunes that you've had. Uh, my my goddaughter uh, grew up with a single mother, and uh, I, I know the struggles she had. But anyway, uh, enough about me. Let's talk about- <laughs> Let's talk about you and pesto wine. Now, you said something interesting. You said it was a male-dominated world. And more businesses today are started by women than men in the last three years. Um, What are some of the issues that you faced that you were able to overcome, and how did you overcome it? Well, I'll tell you, it's it's been very, very difficult. in the early days, I was probably the only woman in my end of the business. So um, I would actually have suppliers come to my office and not want to speak to me. They would ask for my father. And, and I was running the business at the time. And um, I would tell them, you know, it's my company, I'm running the business. But they absolutely would refuse to speak to me. And it it took a long time for that to change. I mean, you know, it's been 40-some-odd years. So... I also had to deal with a tremendous amount of um, sexual harassment in a way. I mean, back in the days, we didn't call it that, but, you know, I would deal with a lot of salespeople, all men, and they would get on the phone and they would say things that were inappropriate. And I would, you know, try to laugh it off or try to, you know, gently put them in their place because I didn't want to antagonize anyone and I knew that I needed to continue in the business. I mean, it's it's been kind of like that all along. Um, it's still a little bit like that today, to be honest, but I've, there are more women coming into the business now. And, um, you know, my son once said to me, um, a lot of men come to my office, and as soon as they walk in, their first uh, reaction is they want to try and help me or they want to try and, and change the business or run the business. And, and he says, Mom, why don't you just stand up and, you know, let them know, hey, this is my business and, you know, uh, I know what I'm doing, and I said, you know what? The only way to earn respect is to work hard and to show them that it's my business. And and so, I have developed a reputation in our business really because of my integrity and my hard work and the way that I developed my relationships with people over the years. So, um, it's it's a struggle on many levels today because a lot of the foreign suppliers are um, looking for. M- male-owned companies where they could, they perceive that to be power. And, um, you know, I have, but I think I've, I've proven 
what I can do just as a person. And that's, I took a brand years ago in about 2004. I was a one-person operation then. I, I should go back. I bought the business from my father in 2000 and promptly lost the only major brand I had left. And so I had to forward the calls to my cell phone, take my computer and go out on the, on the road and knock on doors and try to solicit business to keep the business going because now I had debt, I had a loan to pay for the business. And I, I had just very small brands. I found a brand that I thought had some really great staying power. It was not in the United States, and I built it from one case to almost 100,000 cases. And I did it with hard work and determination. I was out on the street. I went and I did wine tastings every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, I then started to hire people along the way. But I... I develop relationships through the course of this um, these years with supply with distributors around the country that I had never had before, and I can honestly say that I have have close friends who own all of the major distributors around the country, and um, they all have a lot of respect for me because I work hard. But I still lost this big brand that I developed by myself. <laughs> And why did I lose it? Because the supplier said to me, well, you know, uh, we need a bigger company. We need a company that's run by men. We need a company that has a lot of money. We need a company that has, you know, a larger team. And and I found that to be very insulting because I I knew that when they made the move, the brand would die because the brand, it actually, we made the brand. It was about us. It was our relationships. And and um, fortunately for me, the brand did die, but I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. Um, no, you're not. This is very uh, uh, illuminating. We might tell our audience that you're, you're basically a wine importer and distributor. Am I correct? Correct. I am a wine importer. I'm a distributor in New York and New Jersey, and then I am a supplier to other distributors around the country. So in New York, I sell direct to retail stores you know, anyone who has a license. And outside of New York, I sell to other distributors like myself, and then we have to go and work with them and help them sell the wines. Um, but it's it's amazing because the year that I lost this big brand, it was our biggest year yet. It wasn't even, there was absolutely no no um, warning, no, no nothing. I was blindsided, to be honest. And um, I kind of learned a big lesson from it because I'm a person who puts 110% into everything. And I think maybe as a woman, this could be, I might be a little bit more personal about things. And so I made this brand a part of my family. My, both my children work for me. And um, we invested not only ourselves, but every penny that I made, I put back into the brand because I believe that we were in a partnership. And um, it, it just was one of those instances where, these these things happen in our business all the time, but this truly blindsided me. I never expected it, and so I had to then make a choice. What do I do? Do I do I keep on going? Do I close the doors? How do I go on? And it's like I've reinvented myself so many times, and and I'm 61 years old now. So I thought, gee, do I really want to do this again? Um, but I had some other brands that I had picked up that I felt responsible. Um, to them for you know building their brands and so I decided to keep going and I'm very proud to say that I've survived it's been two years almost three and I'm still here and I'm mm -hmm. still um, making it work I'm building these other brands 
And in some ways, maybe it was a blessing because um, I actually I'm just in love with these wines. So um, you can hopefully. you can plug the wines. What are the wines? <laughs> well, my biggest brand is actually from Chile. It's called Undaraga, and um, I'm very excited about this brand in particular because when I was a kid my father went to Chile and it was his favorite wine and he he always talked about it but they had an importer in the U.S. and as luck would have it my children ran into one of the uh, original owners years ago and said oh my grandfather loved your wine and if you ever look for if you're ever looking for a new importer we would be interested and so a few months later they contacted me and um and gave me their brand. And the thing is, we, we've changed it. First of all, the winery changed because now it's a, it's a fine wine company. It was the first Chilean wine ever in the United States in 1903, believe it or not. And, but back in the day, they really most of the wine coming out of Chile was sort of bulk wine. They didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of really um, interest in the terroir and fine wines. But over the, the course of the last 10 or 15 years, they learned that fine wine is where it's at and that Chile is just a gold mine of beautiful terroir and that they can make outstanding wines. And so we were so excited to be like the first to really get in on that part of the, the Chilean wine business. And we developed an entry-level wine. It's it's all about you. It's, called, it's just strictly a big you on the label. I thought it would be easy for people to remember. Undaraga is a very difficult name to say to talk about and um, the wines are fantastic and we we wanted something that people could drink every day without you know you don't don't have to sit down with a big meal if you if you want to just relax on your deck with a glass of wine it's the perfect wine for that because they're really um, more modern style and as I say very easy easy drinking but really quality for the price and then we have we go up the line all the way to um one of the finest wines that I think is out there. It's called TH, um, which means Terroir Hunter. And I thought this was really exciting because I went to the winery and the winemaker showed me how he chooses the parcels for these wines. And he uses soil mapping, which he overlays with weather and irrigation maps. And then he chooses very, very small parcels that have the exact qualities that are necessary for each varietal. So we may have a Sauvignon Blanc that comes from uh, two acres and no more, and it's only made for this TH uh, line. And so the wines are very, very much a representation of what Chilean terroir is about, and he's very gentle. He doesn't manipulate the wines. He allows them to evolve naturally, so uh, they're really, really fantastic. All All the wines are highly rated besides that, but um, you know, ratings to me are just a person's opinion, but they definitely help in this um, in our business because people don't know what to choose, so they look for ratings. And so I'm very happy that the ratings are high. Um, well, how do you? Also, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead no, you, no, you, no, no, you keep going. Oh, I was just, I was just going to say we just actually developed a line of wines for um, for the vegan population because. Um, I, for some reason, it seems like there are a lot more vegans in the market these days, and so we were selling a vegan wine that we, again, lost <laughs> to a bigger company, and so we decided to develop our own label, and we thought, well, you know what? Um, vegans are animal lovers, so we have a cow on the label drinking the wine, <laughs> and it's going to be Simply V. It ha- we haven't in- even introduced it yet. It's coming out next month. But, um, you know, it's little things like that that we're trying to do to, to differentiate ourselves and to really get in contact with the consumers. Um, after all, that's that's our end. That's where we want to be. We want to be in the consumer's mouth. So so you, in effect, uh, work with these wineries and help them not only um, 
uh, imported, but develop the marketing that goes with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. My daughter is a graphic artist, and she is a one-man band. She has a full print shop in our office, and we make custom point-of-sale materials for all of our all of our markets all around the country at no charge. And she's so creative. And um, you saw our, our You campaign. It all starts with you. It's all about you. Uh, you'll love it. Um, she can have anything she wants, but all she wants is you. And the, the various things that you can do with the, the catchphrase, it's things like that. You know, we, um, we're very much about trying to differentiate ourselves and not do the same thing that everyone else is doing. Because the only way to be successful in, in this business is to be different. There, there are too many wines out there, and they're all great. So why should you, why should you drink mine? I have to get you to understand why you need to pick up my bottle of wine. Well, how do you get people to take uh, shops and distributors to take your wine? What do you tell them, and how do you do that? I'll tell you, it's it's definitely it's definitely tricky. Um, we ha we go through a lot of samples. Um, the first thing, unfortunately, everybody wants to try the wines. Uh, years ago, we couldn't give out samples, and when they allowed that to happen, it opened up a huge can of worms in our market. It cost us a fortune, but no one is going to take a wine without trying it. And then once they try it, we have to offer them wine tastings in the store so that we can help them to move the wines because if you walk into a liquor store these days or a wine shop, you look around, you, you're you're in amazement. You don't know where to where to turn unless you actually have a brand favorite. And so, we know that the only way the consumer is going to pick up our wine is if we have them try it first. So we stand in the store, we do, um, you know, we taste them on the wines as often as we can. All of my salespeople do this. Um, we pay salespeople in other markets to do it. We also um, make uh, shelf talkers that we hang up on the shelf, which we can have either food pairings on there or we can have ratings on them or just sometimes my daughter will make them where it just shows the actual flavors in the wine. For example, she might put a big chocolate bar and some strawberries and some cocoa and it's so attractive it draws people over. So you, those are your silent salespeople. Um, but also it's it's more than that, it's getting people to go in and actually ask for the wines. And so a couple of things that I do I donate to every charity for two reasons. First of all, I'm very chari charity-oriented from having a, a handicapped child who passed away. And I also feel that it's the least expensive way that you can advertise. If you donate a gift basket or you go and you pour the wines for someone at the event, you know that you're going to reach some of the consumers and hopefully they'll go out and look for your wines. And we also make we cut out little bottles. Um, my daughter used to cut them out by hand. They, we call them bookmarks because uh, we want to give them a purpose, and they are the exact replica of the bottle that we're pouring, and it has information on the back about the wine. So when we're doing tastings anywhere, we hand those out to people, so if they want to go and look for the wine, they don't even have to remember the name. They can just show the bottle, and all the information is there. Um, the other thing I do is things like the consumer um, products events. Things like that are fantastic for me because no other wine company is taking advantage of these things. And so I try to put myself in a place where I'm going to stand out. So being the only wine in an event, naturally everyone flocks to you. So we've done quite a few of those. I did actually poured the wines in Hollywood for the pre-Oscar party, which was phenomenal. And um, we had quite a few producers and directors and stars 
all absolutely loving our wines. So um, I think, to be honest, my biggest problem right now is actually getting a distributor in the other states to take on the products because they're so loaded with products that unless you're a big corporate um, importer where you um, are already entrenched in their business and you're supporting them with big dollars, they don't even want to look at you. So it's really, you know, I use my relationships as much as I can to try to get myself in the door and then we work hard to try and show them that the brand is viable. And, you know, it's it's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds it, but, you, but you've thrown three or four ideas out uh, during this uh, a brief time we've been together that uh, uh, I think are terrific. In fact, uh, uh, the next time I have to do a, a speech or something, I may throw a couple of them in there. Uh, if people, go mm-hmm. ahead. You, you no, first. feel free. <laughs> um, well, um, we, it, I'm also trying to do some video things. I, I've been planning for a long time to do some things. Uh, I want to do some some YouTube videos, but the the problem is having the time to do it. You know, I have a comedian in the office, my son, so we can do something funny that would hopefully attract people. Oh, if people, uh, what's your website? Um, it's www.testawines.com. T E S T A W I N E S dot com. Um, we were hacked. I'm not sure exactly why, and my daughter is rebuilding the website. Most Our products are all on there, but some of the things may not be uh, completely up to date at this point. <laughs> She's rebuilding it in her spare time. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny because we were under attack, too, for two weeks by uh, 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 outside Arab forces who took over our website. So uh, I, I feel your pain. Yeah, uh, it's... Then we, we talk, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my other my other question because we are the next guest is waiting. Is are you going to be at the uh, fancy food show? Um, I'm not sure. I'm actually scheduled to be away at that time, but I did get. I was just contacted by Wines of Chile to uh, ask if I wanted to present some of our wines. So I may I may send someone else in my place. I'm not 100 percent sure yet. Well. Uh, Regardless of that, you have to come back again and talk with us because it's certainly been an illuminating uh, time for us. We're talking with Debbie Lane. She's a president, owner, chief bottle washer for Testa Wines, and uh, it's been a real pleasure having you it's on been, tonight. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Have a good day, and we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Our next guest is Stephen Scheinbaum, the founder of Merchant Cash and Capital. I hope I pronounced the name correctly, Sean. You you did, Stephen Scheinbaum. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, uh, I went to NYU, so uh, uh, names like yours uh, came up often. Uh, he, he is the founder of Merchant Cash and Capital, and he uh, he has a new website, which I'll let him tell tell you all about uh, about small business funding. But first, we always ask our, our guest Steve to say a little bit about themselves and their personal background. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, I um, I'm a lawyer by trade. 
I practiced. I went to George Washington University undergrad and law school, and I practiced law for approximately 18 or 19 years before I decided to start Merchant Cash and Capital in 2005. Okay. And what does Merchant Cash and Capital do? Merchant Merchant Cash and Capital is an alternative finance company that provides business that that provides financing to all sorts of businesses on a nationwide basis. Um, since 2005, we have provided approximately a billion, a billion one to approximately 25,000 merchants across the country. Um, and we recently rolled out a or launched a new biz fight called bizfi.com, B-I-Z-F-I.com, which is a an online marketplace where can where business owners can go to receive real time offers. Um, from a variety of finance companies, ranging from SBA lenders to equipment finance companies to alternative lenders in our space. Um, and within our space, we show, almost like Progressive Insurance does, we show our offers side-by-side side with that of our competitors, with the goal being to provide small business owners with as many financing options as they possibly can, um, because they are driving employment and um, really helping this this country continue to grow. Well, Steve, uh, I, I went on to your site and I found it very interesting. Uh, but I, I guess the question is uh, that I'd like to ask you is what should a small business owner, 59% of uh, our audience are either presidents and or owners of companies, what what is the information they should prepare before doing this, and what should, what and how should they share it? That, that's a great question. Business owners should have their bank statements readily available, their tax returns, um, their corporate documents, um, and any other sort of organizational type in information or documents handy um, and ready to provide to the lenders. But with respect to... The second part of the question, how they should convey that message, they really need to understand their story, and they have to know their business inside and out, know the, um, the use of proceeds, why they need the money. Um, if they are in a cash flow crunch, how that cash flow crunch developed, how the capital that they're seeking will help them get out of that, that, that current predicament, or why they want to use it to grow their business, open another store, um, take on another location or anything or anything related to that, and really understand that they have to exude confidence and make the financing industry the, the the financing partner that they're speaking with confident that if they give this person money, they are going to use it for a very legitimate and prosperous reason, and that they and and make them confident that they're going to get a return on their investment and get their principal back. I, I saw a study recently that said the average small business, and, and we define here on the program under 50 employees, uh, that in, in these cases they don't realize they need the money until almost at the time they need it rather than having planned for it. Do, do you see that happening with your, your clients? That, that, that's a common that's a yes we do that's a common problem for small businesses that don't have um that don't have 
controllers or chief financial officers and and, and real uh, and real finance departments, which many of the small businesses in the country don't have. Um, and and so many businesses find themselves in trouble just because they're undercapitalized to start. And as you said, and as you correctly pointed out, that they realize too late that they that they need capital. However, the the folks in our space now with technology are able to provide capital and make decisions within a handful of hours, and we can provide someone with working capital with you know with, within hours and or days at the at the latest. Well, that's good to hear, but um, does that have a the fact that they need it so immediately have a negative effect in in the decision being made by the lender? It can from the perspective of the lender having confidence that the business owner is on top of his business and is able to predict what's going to come down the pike. But many, but many owners face, um, face cash flow issues because there, there, there are snowstorms like we experienced this past summer in, um, in all across New England. There are floods in Texas. There's weather in there, there are weather issues out in California, and so if it's something that if the, if it's something that the lender feels the business owner should have been able to predict and foresee coming down the pike, then it's a bit of a negative. But if it's just something that happens that's aberrational, then lenders understand that you know stuff happens to everybody, and if we we have to try to find a way to help the person through the current situation. Well, what are some of the other things that um, a small business should Consider, consider, and prepare when they do a financing like this. Well, someone someone should take into account whether they have any collateral or assets that they that they can pledge to a lender. This is not our business, but if someone has accounts receivable or equipment or real estate, they should understand that that whatever assets they have, they may be able to pledge those to a lender. And generally, when a lender has assets that they, that that can secure their loan, then the cost of the money will be less than unsecured um, financings, which is which is what we provide. But lender, but but business owners, other than that, should really know as know their business as as I said earlier, as well as they possibly can. They should go. They should do research on the financing companies that they're talking to. They should want to know how long have they been in business. Look at a Better Business Bureau rating find out how many businesses they've financed, go online and see if there are any negative reviews about those lenders because like any in like any industry there are there there are a few bad players in every space. Most of most of the parties are really really well intentioned, but you just have to be careful and make sure that you're dealing with someone that is that is as straightforward and reputable as you as you can find. What about personal guarantee? That's a, a a subject that's a, a kind of a sore point. Do lenders require the personal guarantee, and if so, should the small business owner give that personal guarantee? Um, well, whether whether someone should should give a personal guarantee or not depends often on whether on, on whether a business owner can get financing without giving the personal guarantee. Um, in our company, we actually don't have a an unconditional personal guarantee regarding payment we just have a guarantee that someone um that someone is going to perform the perform their obligations and provide us true and accurate information um but many many folks in the space do require a personal guarantee it is something it is something that a business owner should 
should take very seriously and under and understand what it means. Um, most business owners would be well advised that if they could get a product without a guarantee as compared to something with a guarantee, um, that that they should explore that to the greatest extent possible. However, um, if someone is reluctant to give a guarantee, some lenders will view that as a negative um, because they want to know that the person really stands behind it and he's in 100 and 180%. What about... Uh, should uh, should the uh, uh, small business owner have a lawyer look at the documents? Depending upon the educational background of 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 the, of the business owner, it always it always makes sense to do that. Um, and and people, should, it's interesting if if a small business owner were to ask a lender, should I have a lawyer review this? If a lender, <laughs> if a lender said no, you should not have a lawyer review this, then I think that's, that, that business owner should try to find an, uh, another financing option available to them. <laughs> um, we, 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 encourage, we encourage all of our, all of our customers to have some professional, whether it's their CPA or a lawyer, um, review the documents and go over it with them to make sure that we are, to make sure that they fully understand the transaction and know what they're getting into. The, le- the last thing I ever want is a customer to feel um, to feel that the deal is, is something other than they understood it to be on day one of the transaction. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, uh, the way you put it is just, I haven't heard it that way before, but the, that, that's a terrific one. Um, you know, if we have a lawyer on the program, they say you should always have a lawyer look at it. But uh, I, I, I'm hesitating over here because it's... it's um, a very interesting one. We we saw a study recently that 63% of small business owners do not have lawyers look at their documents, and right. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, that that that's that's a problem. Um, that that that's a problem. There there are there are inexpensive ways that that people can obtain legal help. I think of that 53%, and that number is a little alarming. Of that 53%, I imagine that. Um, that many of those people are not retaining lawyers because they don't have the capital to do it. But certainly if, some, if someone is in a major city and there are law schools um, in, in the city, there are law clinics where you have you know, upperclassmen, second- and third-year law students who, as part of their legal education, are supposed to do pro bono or free work for for business owners or, or for people. And a business owner can certainly you know, avail themselves of, of that of that option and and even though it's not someone that has practiced them necessarily for 30 years those students are definitively being guided you know and mentored by 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 renowned and experienced law professors and and it's so much better than 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 not having anyone look at it i i agree with you um you're in the sense of what's called an alternative lender is would i be correct in assuming that that is correct well, I saw recently that uh, during the uh, recession, alternative uh, lenders became uh, almost the uh, uh, place of last resort, but that now the bigger banks uh, are now entering the field again. Uh, how has that affected your business or the industry as a whole? Do you have any thoughts on that? 
sure. Um, and, and, and that's something we deal with We deal with every day. We, we started before the recession. The recession was actually a very positive time for us because our portfolio, we're very data-driven, and our portfolio performed really well. Um, for companies that came through the recession and, and were successful, we've been able, like Merchant Cash and Capital, we've been able to attract more institutional money, cheaper forms of debt and equity. And what that has enabled us to do is to create lower cost, longer term products for our customers. And in addition, we've been able to use some of that equity money to hire really, really smart um, IT folks and automate so much of the automate so much of the business to make the process that much easier. As that has happened, and we've and and we now offer people the ability or provide people with the ability to go through the entire process from application to funding within just a handful of hours. Although it's still somewhat more expensive than a traditional bank, many customers, many business owners now are turning to folks in our space and are willing to pay a little more because we can do in hours what traditional financing sources are doing in weeks and or months. Yeah. Uh, one, the Federal Reserve indicated today that uh, interest rates will go up. Uh, we've been in a historically low interest rate area. Do you think that will affect, uh, well, obviously it will affect the borrowing costs, but will it impact it greatly? Not, not, not in the space that we're in. We have, you know, having started in 2005, we've been through various interest rate environments, and our rates to the end user um, have have not fluctuated much along uh, along the way. It may impact our cost of funds and our profit margins, but we we're trying to understand what the what, what the business owner can can afford to pay and and put a and put a product out there that allows them to gain access to the capital they need and, um, and grow their business um, with, with our capital costs built in and allow us you know, to, ret- to obtain an acceptable return on, on our money. Uh, Steve, uh, your website again and how people can reach you? So we, we have two websites. The first website is merchantcashandcapital.com. The second website is bizfi, B-I-Z-F-I.com. We'd welcome anyone to to come and and, and take a look. Stephen Scheinbaum, Scheinbaum, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, again, I uh, I love this program because I learned so much because I have people like you on who come on and explain it so clearly. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you. You as well. Bye bye. Our next guest is Harold Branch. Now, that's an easy name to, to pronounce. He's an executive with Legal Shield, and uh, who's going to provide insight on, on a, what I found was a, a very, very interesting uh, uh, approach to some of the legal traps for small business. Harold, welcome to the program. How you doing? Thanks so much for having me. Well, uh, you wrote an uh, excellent article, which, by the way, people can... Uh, uh, read in its entirety uh, if, if they want to. Uh, I hope we're going to get through all of them tonight, but if not, mm-hmm. they can see it at smallbusinessdigestmag.com. But before, Harold, uh, we always ask our guests to say a little bit about their personal background before we get into anything else. 
Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. I do. Um, and excuse me, I feel like I'm coming down with a cold, so if I sound a little nasally, um, don't hold it against me. But um, my background is that of um, I was actually an artist for a long time, a poet and a writer, and also a contractor working with um, young people and um, youth service providers traveling around the world. Um, helping them um, perfect their ability to um, work in different arenas. Um, and then I found myself in, in Legal Shield in the business arena working with small businesses for the last dozen years or so, um, helping them keep their doors open, protect themselves, defend themselves against unfair practices. Uh, that's the thing about small businesses is, you know, they have um, their competition is with the big businesses, um, but they don't have the resources of the big businesses. And, and we see so many small businesses getting squeezed out of scenarios and situ- um, you know environments and, and out of business, unfortunately, um, because they don't have those resources, especially from a legal standpoint. So, um, spend a lot of time working with with those um, in that arena and um, helping them keep their doors open so they could continue to um, participate in this free market of ours. Well, what does Legal Shield do? Well, Legal Shield pretty much takes. Um, attorney fees that normally range from two, three, four hundred dollars an hour and make it affordable to individuals for about a dollar a day and for small businesses for about two dollars a day. Um, we work with the best of the best attorneys across the nation. Um, and so it, it, it's a way for us to um, even the playing field when it comes to um, legal representation, information, um, and make sure that everybody has um, that access um, to rights, you know, that's rightfully theirs, just as just as citizens of this great country. So um, it's really exciting what we have going on. And pretty much we do, um, with collective buying power, um, what the big businesses are able to do individually. Okay. Well, what got you on this program was this excellent article. Tell us, uh, and I'm not going to interrupt you, what are the five unexpected legal issues that could sink a business? I, you know, I appreciate that um, because we're trying to uh, definitely wanted to make this make people aware of it um, so they could see it coming. Because one mistake, like you said, could sink a business um, and, and really just take them off the rails. Um, one of those is unfair contracts. You know, small businesses are getting contracts left and right, and unfortunately, sometimes we take a look at a contract and if it's only a page or two pages, um, maybe it's from a lender, uh, maybe it's um, solidifying another relationship, maybe it's a vendor. And um, we think we understand it. What we don't, what we don't get, is that some language. Um, it, it really means something different when it's in a contract. So, as sharp as we are, as smart as we are. We may be agreeing to something, um, and we don't know what we're agreeing to, right? And it, it, that contract was written by an attorney, and that's the tough thing, and that's the thing we got to remember. All contracts are written by attorneys, um, so they should be read by attorneys, but that could be fairly difficult, once again, if um, you get a lot of small contracts. So um, those unfair contracts, and they creep up on you, um, and you look up, and you're holding the bag, and you know enough of those can sink <laughs> a small business. Um, it could, it could be pretty crippling. 
actually. Um, and then, of course, we have inadequate uh, protections for, for financial information. Um, you know, unfortunately, um, not all businesses have the things in place to protect their financial in, um, information properly um, to put them in a position um, so they can make sure that there is no um, no fraudulent behavior um, and, in turn, getting them a judgment um, through the courts, their bill information being out there, personal information being out there, the business information being out there, um, and then it being used fraudulently. Identity theft is such a terrible issue um, well, that's in the society right now. Yeah. We explain what you what you mean by that. Uh, people who steal their uh, their customer list. What do you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. If, if, if people who may steal the customers list, um, you're not locking the information up and properly. Um, there's definitely safeguards that's mandatory in that situation. But also people stealing the business owner's information, um, using their business accounts, and you look up and there's purchases made and, and things of that nature. Um, so that could hurt you in two different ways. You get your personal information stolen, the business's information stolen. Obviously, now your resources are taken, and even if you get um, reverse through the bank and things like that. Having your your um, your liquid your cash tied up for days can be devastating to a small business because they're often day to day as far as their cash reserves. Um, but then if you get accused of um, um, losing someone's information, just the fines in that situation could be absolutely devastating. So that's okay. a twofold challenge. Uh, I yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Especially in this world with so much technology flowing around. Oh, very definitely. Uh, absolutely. Now, go on. What's another, uh, another one of these? They're all excellent. I want to get through them all because they uh, they have great impact on small business. Absolutely. No, 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 definitely, definitely. The next one is a fairly common one, um, which is mistakes in wage payments, right? Making a mistake in, in what you're paying someone, um, making illegal deductions um, that you may thought was okay, um, but, you know, tax laws change. They change so frequently. Um, you know, um, it's hard to keep up with all the legislation. It's almost impossible to keep up with all the legislation that's being passed statewide and federally, you know, so taking on that responsibility it could be absolutely overwhelming. Um, so that's another reason why having an attorney access is, is just paramount. Um, because if you, you do pay someone wrong, um, let's say you, you pay them or treat them like an independent contractor when they're actually an employee, things like that could really get you in trouble when you get a disgruntled employee um, that go ahead and makes a call, right? So those shortages um, could put you in a bad situation. And then, of course, the handshake deals. You know, small business owners, what we appreciate about being small business owners is that we know people. It's all about relationships. It's shaking the hand and saying, this is what we're going to do, and thinking that you got a deal, thinking that you have an understanding, and not getting it put in writing properly, right? Well, some of us almost feel like it's an insult um, to the person that you're doing business with to um, make sure that it's being put in writing. But in 2015, it is just absolutely too dangerous um, to make deals just based off of somebody's word. Um, I tell people, especially when you're doing business with your family or a friend, I say, if you want to keep your friend, I suggest you get put it in writing or it, your friendship's over. You <laughs> it's, it's it's a wrap, you know. And I want you to keep your friends, and I do. Um, 
And then, of course, lastly, we got a chance to talk about, um, I, I talked about inadequate insurance. And um, once again, laws change so often. I mean, you know, you're talking about medically, you're talking about just all the different insurance that your your business needs to hold um, in order to be in compliance um, with the different governances of the state that you're in, the, the, you know, federally and things of that nature. Um, you really need to talk to someone because, you know, not having enough insurance, um, especially if you have cars, you, you know, you, in your business and maybe some CDL drivers and things of that nature, anything goes bad, it's a shutdown. You're shut down. It's over. It's over. And, and too many of our business owners um, are spending unnecessary funds um, or struggling um, to get the proper information um, and just don't know where to turn. And that's why we've been so passionate about our Legal Shield program, um, because we do want to keep small businesses in place. Um, it's the heartbeat of America. It really is. It's the heartbeat of America. Um, it keeps good competition going on. Um, and honestly, you don't want to walk into the huge warehouse every time you want to get anything, right? You want to go to the guy down the street, the young lady down the street, um, and make some things happen. So we're just trying to make people aware of the things to be careful of and um, let them know they do have options that don't cost three, $400 an hour um, in order to defend themselves, protect themselves, um, and be forward-thinking so that they can stay in business and continue to turn a great profit okay you've, you've given us all of those and again if you uh, if you missed any of them or want to uh, in much more detail uh, the article is on small business digest mag dot com uh, but now let's let's uh, since we have a couple of more minutes uh, mm -hmm. let's let's talk about uh, some of the some of the other things that you might think uh, people should, uh, small business should be aware of. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I got an entire laundry list. I was talking with attorneys um, today. I was excited to be on the show, and we were discussing it. But those were the top five. But you got everything from not collecting or paying the taxes properly, from income to sales, employer tax, um, not realizing that getting investors for your business can often trigger security issues, right? And so you're excited to get investors, but you need to talk to somebody and see if you're violating any security challenges or some things you need to do because um, you could face fines, you could face jail time, and you just didn't know, just didn't know at all. Um, classifying the employees, I think I, I mentioned that, classifying the employees as independent contractors when they're really employees, um, obviously that's a challenge there. Not having proper employment policies in place to address harassment, workplace discrimination, um, and further failure to consistently apply to those policies, um, that's an issue. Everybody wants to make sure their rights are being protected. And as a business owner, you really do have that responsibility um, to make sure this stuff is in place. Even asking uh, what could be considered discriminating questions in a job interview. In a job interview, there's certain questions you can't even ask, all right? Um, it would be seen as discriminatory. Um, so, you know, all of these um, and just a litany of more things. Um, and the tough thing is just like a contract, you could read it and say and agree to everything in the contract is perfect, but what you don't know is what should be there that isn't. And that's the tough thing about being a business owner. You may not know what you should be doing that you're not doing, not even know what you should be asking. And that's why having experts available uh, could help you avoid so many challenges. It's so easy. It's so much easier to avoid issues than it is to fix them once they have already occurred. 
Okay, let's now look, let's talk about your company. Yeah. I'm a small business. I pay you, um, what is it, two dollars, three dollars a month? I don't know what the figure is. Mm, no, 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 like like two dollars a day. So you pay like forty nine bucks a month. Um, you know, upwards to one hundred and forty nine dollars if you have a hundred employees. So between forty nine and one hundred and forty nine dollars a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I I have a I'm doing a contract. Uh, mm-hmm. I said I say, look at this contract and tell me uh, what uh, what I what I should have in there and what I should. Now, absolutely. That's all. That's all covered under your contract. That is all covered. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you send that contract in, they're going to look at it, and you're talking about top notch AV rated attorney um, that specializes in your area of law. We're luckily have over 6,900 attorneys across the nation, largest attorney network um, in the world that we deal with. And they're looking over the contract, making sure that everything is solid for you, sending it back to you, telling you add this, agree to this, don't agree to that, or just run. You may get the run phone call, so be prepared to do that as well. Um, but absolutely, you're talking about phone calls, um, so you can call and get advice. Um, you, you're just worried. Somebody coming to your store, they slip and fall, they say it's okay, but now you're worried. Um, do I have to worry about a lawsuit? What could this go? Um, maybe you want to fire somebody at the job. Right. You know, people get fired all the time, but oftentimes they come back lawsuit wise and things like that because it wasn't done properly. So you fire somebody and you're worried. These are the things that keeps a business owner up at night. So now you could call the law firm and get, you know, that consultation, talk it through, find out what your options are and the best way to protect yourself. Um, so you're not dealing with any issues, commingling your fund. You know, it's just so much. So phone consultation, you get your contracts looked over. Um, they're writing letters and make phone calls for you. If you let's say you get have a vendor issue um, and they sent you the wrong thing and, and now with the time that it takes to send you the right thing um, it's just too late for what you needed that um, vendor relationship for um, and you want a refund but they refuse to give you a refund. See now you need an attorney to write that letter for you right? to get in there and fight on your behalf and that's what, hap- what happens if you have to go to court? Is that If you have to yeah, that's the great thing about the program. Let's say you got to go to court. You want to sue somebody else. If you're being sued, covered in a program, you're suing somebody else, then you get a 25% VIP discount. So that's the great thing about the program. The daily things that you're going to need an attorney for, um, debt collection letters, contract review, um, letters and phone calls made on your behalf, and just daily consultation is just totally covered by the program. But then if you find yourself in those blue moon scenarios, you got to aggressively sue somebody else or um, defend something against this or that, then you get a 25% VIP discount in those scenarios. So our members, and that's why we've we've been around for 40 years, and that's why we have members that um, have been around for decades with our program, um, because they never pay full price for an attorney again for being involved. It's pretty awesome. So... um so let me get it clear. Let's say uh, 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 I I have to go to court to defend myself. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I use your attorney, and if they charge two hundred dollars um, an hour, we you get it for one hundred and fifty dollars an hour. If you were going to court to defend yourself from a lawsuit with two of our three plans, you already have seventy five hours already paid for. So that okay. lawsuit will have to go to 76 bucks. But let's say you want to sue someone else. You want to be the aggressor in a lawsuit. And it normally costs $200 an hour um, to use the attorney. 
you're going to get at least a 25% discount, so it'll be 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I know, and it's funny because I was speaking with a business owner the other day, and um, I told him, I said, hey, what if you had um, a, a bill that cost $10,000? Um, would you want that to drop down to 7500 7, He was like, absolutely, right? So um, that could be a significant discount. I, I see that. Yeah. And you, and you cite again? Site LegalShield.com. www.legalshield.com. Yep. Harold, um, it's been a great pleasure having you on the program today. Uh, I Thank hope you. you'll come back again, come up with another uh, set of uh, unexpected legal issues. We'll talk again. <laughs> Don, for you, anytime. It'll be a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming on. It was great. You were great. And I hope your cold gets better. Oh, it will. I feel better already. I think talking to you (laughs) helped. (laughs) Have a a great day. All right. Bye now. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net at smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.